Um, today, two sermons for the price of one. <laughs> and I'm not sure whether the follow-up comment should be, I won't watch if you want to leave now, uh, or if the follow-up comment should be, you can put a little extra in the offering plate today if you want. Um, but uh, I, I'm intending to preach a real short sermon on a longer text, and then a normal length sermon on a very short text. For the long text, would you open your Bibles with us to 1 Chronicles 29? Uh, unless you read through the Bible regularly, cover to cover, it may have been a while since you were in Chronicles. I uh, hope you can find it. The uh, first. Chronicles chapter 29, the background is this. King David has been told by God that it will not be him but his son Solomon who will get to build this grand temple as a central focus of Israel's worship. But that doesn't mean that David, in his last years, can't do something to prepare for the, the temple. He can help in the arrangements of the architectural plans. He can do some fundraising. And so he initiates this great offering project. This is not going to be part of the regular tithes of Israel, which were kind of a cross between an offering and a tax. This is going to be a free will offering uh, for which David sets the example. He gives generously himself. That inspires other leaders to give generously to this project. And so in verse 9 of chapter 29, we read that the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And then David prays this great prayer in verses 10 through 20. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things in your hands. Our strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O oh Lord, our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things have I given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. O Lord God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep, in their hearts, uh, keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, requirements, and decrees and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. 
Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed low and fell prostrate before the Lord and the King. David's prayer reminds us that it is a privilege, a joyful privilege, to give. This prayer reminds us that we only give God what He first gave us. Did you hear verse 14? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. And this prayer reminds us that the offering is an act of worship. I hope that the convenience of electronic giving doesn't mean the end of the offering as part of corporate worship. Mm. Uh, it is certainly convenient, it is efficient, and increasingly online giving and other methods uh, have become an important part of the church's ability to meet its budget. But I don't think it's just because I'm an old guy that I like passing the offering plate. Mm. It's because this is part of what it means to worship our God. And so although I have made other arrangements for the bulk of my giving, most weeks I put something in the plate because I don't want to lose this dimension of worship. And I mention that not as a, a new rule or, or anything for anybody else to do, but more in the spirit of David who here told people what he was doing to encourage them, and I'd like to encourage you to in some way continue to make giving an act of worship. End of short sermon. <laughs> Eighteen years ago on the first Sunday of January, I did what Leo did the first Sunday of March this year, preached the greatest sermon ever preached. Delivered the Sermon on the Mount from memory. But, um, well, first of all, I should mention that I noticed what Leo also noticed this year, and that is that some of you were following in the Bible to make sure we got it right. <laughs> and although nobody said anything to me, I realized later when I listened to the recording that I forgot one verse. And what a verse to forget. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, this is what I forgot. Or not verse 12. Um, now I forgot what verse it is. <laughs> it is verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. I forgot to say verse 12 of chapter 7. Now, if you're going to memorize the Sermon on the Mount and um, deliver it, this is not the verse you want to forget. <laughs> For one thing, it's obviously very important. Jesus says that this one line, do to others as you would have them do to you, sums up the Old Testament. That's what he means by the law and the prophets. We saw that earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, back in chapter 5, where he says uh, to correct a misunderstanding about his teaching ministry, don't think that I, I came to abolish the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill them. 
And what he means is the whole of the Old Testament. And in fact, the Old Testament itself sometimes uses that expression, the law and the prophets, to summarize the, the whole Old Covenant Scripture. And here in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that that phrase, that sentence, do to others as you would have them do to you, sums up 39 books, 23,000 verses, 1,500 years of divine self-revelation. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That must be pretty important. And a second reason you don't want to forget the golden rule if you're reciting the Sermon on the Mount is because this is one of the most well-known, honored, revered, treasured, Verses in the whole Bible. Even people who don't know that it came from the Bible, even people who don't know that it came from the lips of Jesus, know the golden rule. And you find something like it in other world religions, Confucianism, Buddhism, Greek philosophy. In fact, there's a group called the Committee for the Golden Rule that tries to promote the golden rule as not only a good summary of ethical conduct, but as a way of bringing the people of the world closer together. The argument is that you don't have to believe in Jewish or Christian scripture to see the value of this rule. You don't even have to believe in God to see that it it makes sense. It's a good summary of ethical conduct. One guy online says, Why all the hoopla and controversy about posting the Ten Commandments in public places? Why don't we we post the golden rule? Who could argue with that? President Kennedy appealed to it as a, a basic rule of fairness. 1963, the occasion was the enrollment of the first black student at the University of Alabama, And Kennedy, in his anti-discrimination speech, tried to urge his fellow Americans to imagine what it would feel like, what it would be like to be told, you can't eat in the... And he summarized by saying, the heart of the matter is, are we going to treat our fellow Americans as we want to be treated? The golden rule. Norman Rockwell painted a collage of different cultures, people of different ethnicities, different skin tones, different manners of dress representing different beliefs, all standing in unity, in fellowship with one another. What binds them together in that painting? Our text, Matthew 7:12. And the caption under this portrait of people with scarves and head coverings, prayer cloths, the caption is the golden rule. It's worth noting that most versions of the Golden Rule are stated negatively. Centuries before Christ, Confucius said, do not do to others what you would not like done to yourself. In Buddhist writings, you find hurt not others in ways you yourself find hurtful. Hinduism, this is the sum duty. Do not to others that you would not have them do to you. You wouldn't want your neighbor to play loud music in the middle of the night when you're trying to sleep, then don't you play loud music in the middle of the night. 
You wouldn't want your words twisted and taken out of context to say something that you didn't intend? Well, then don't do that to others. If you're a prisoner, you wouldn't want other people to abuse and torture you, then you ought not, if you're in a position of authority, abuse and torture others. Twenty years before Christ, a Gentile who was considering conversion to Judaism asked a prominent rabbi, Rabbi Shammai, if he could summarize Jewish belief. In fact, do it so concisely that he could do it while standing on one leg. And Shammai thought this was a facetious, silly request and dismissed the inquirer. But Rabbi Hillel took up the challenge. And while standing on one foot, said, What is hateful to you, do not to anyone else. This is the whole law. Everything else is commentary. But Jesus' version is different. It's stated positively, not just don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you, but do to others what you would have them do to you. Does it make a difference? Sometimes a little change can make a big difference. And in the first service I used the example of the evolution of the harpsichord into the piano. In the early 18th century, somebody anonymous still made this small change. The harpsichord strings are plucked so that the music played on a harpsichord has notes of equal intensity and volume and music was written accordingly. But then somebody made this little change. Instead of striking the, or plucking the strings, they had the strings hammered which opens up all new dynamic possibilities for piano music and revolutionized, really, is not too strong a word, um, classical music. Little change, big change. Well, closer to home, there's this little change in the text of Matthew 7:12. My copy of the New International Version was the first edition, 1978. And in 1978, the translators left out a little word that is there in Greek. A little word in Greek, a little word in English. So, you see that if you have your Bible open. So, in everything due to others, because in 1984 they put it in there and preserved it in the 2011 version, and even though that seems like a little thing, it makes a big difference. Here's why. Without that word so, others who read this might have thought, what, what is this verse even doing here? Jesus is talking about prayer. That was last week's sermon. He talks about how we have a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children in everything due to others what you would have them do to what, What's the connection? What's the segue here? But when you see that little word, so, you realize, if you still have chapter 5 in mind, that Jesus is here summarizing the main body of the Sermon on the Mount, which he began when he said, don't think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. 
I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then right through verse 12 of chapter 7, he's fleshing out what it looks like to live a fulfilled law and prophets before he begins to summarize and conclude the sermon in the following paragraphs by saying, there's two ways, there's two foundations, this kind of brings the sermon to a conclusion. But the body of the sermon begins with the law and the prophets and ends with the law and the prophets. When I was talking to Pastor Drew about that this week, he said, oh, so this is kind of a long so. So, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. This sums up what I have been trying to say to you for the last few pages or the last 10 minutes. Little change, but it makes a big difference. Positive. It's not just don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. It's do to others what you would want them to do to you. The negative way of stating it gives us a minimalist ethic. Don't do harm. Leave people alone. Mind your own business. Keep your hands off. Just go your own way. But the positive statement of Jesus requires us to go further than that. To take steps of love, acts of love, and not just leave people alone. Let me give you an illustration of how um, this plays out in, in the real world. The difference between a negative and a positive statement of the golden rule. Um, imagine that you live in a bad neighborhood in Chicago where people regularly get shot. Well, some people don't have to imagine it. The folks who attend Armitage Baptist Church in Chicago um, live there. Kids get killed in drive-by shootings. And, and Pastor um, Charles Lyons tells about a time back in 1993 when the Bulls won the uh, NBA championship, and a young kid named Julio was caught up in the crowd leaving the arena. The Imperial gangsters were out that night, making sure that no rival gangs had uh, been blending in the crowd and transgressing on their turf. Whether Julio was just wearing the wrong colors that night or what, somewhere in the midst of all those thousands of sports fans, the Imperial Gangsters dragged him down and stabbed him to death. Nobody saw anything. Nobody knew anything. And Pastor Lyons, in effect, says that this is the negative statement of the golden rule in action. You wouldn't kill anybody. You wouldn't stab anybody. You mind your own business. You keep your nose clean. You take care of your family. But he and his church realized that unless their community is going to be filled with people who are scared and alone and feel helpless and hopeless, that they need to follow Jesus' instruction to go beyond leaving them alone. So, that week, Pastor Lyons announced they were going to go on a prayer march. The church responded to that tragedy and even offered reward for information leading to the 
arrest of Julio's killers. And it wasn't the first time or the last that they got involved with a young man's slaying. When a kid gets shot in our neighborhood, he says, we hold a prayer service on the spot where the kid died. We've sometimes had as many as 350 people show up for one of these. We walk up and down the street letting people know they're not alone and forgotten, and we ask them, is there anything that we can pray for for them? After getting in touch with the neighborhood, they hold a prayer vigil, and the people are there, maybe around the corner, maybe up in their windows or in the alleys, listening, and they sing some songs, make a few prayers for parents and the police and even the gang members, and then somebody stands up in the back of a pickup truck and shares a five-minute gospel presentation, and they wrap up and go home. They could mind their own business. Don't do any harm. Don't do to other people what you wouldn't want done to you. Seriously, Jesus' way of putting it. Do what you would want somebody to do for you. I don't know if you realize it, but our Lord's golden rule is, in a sense, the second great commandment in different words. You remember what the great commandments are? I hope so. They're at the heart of the reason we exist. The purpose of Christ's community church is to glorify God in obedience to the great commission and the great commandments. The great commission is to go and make disciples of all the nations. The great commandments are what? What's the first one? Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. What's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself is another way of saying in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. It's a good summary of the ethical obligations that God's Word, Old and New Testament, lay on us with respect to other people. Great Commission, or uh, great, great Commandment, Golden Rule. So, would I appreciate it if people gave me the benefit of the doubt if they don't understand me? Would I appreciate it if once in a while a neighbor who got out there first would shovel the snow on my sidewalk? Would I appreciate it if somebody I knew had incredible good news and told me about it? Maybe gospel news? Do to others what you'd have them do to you. An old man went to live with his son, daughter-in-law, and four-year-old grandson because he couldn't live alone anymore. He was, he was really frail, and he just needed help. And dinner time became an issue for the son and daughter-in-law because the old man would shake and peas would go off of his spoon all over the table. And, and because his eyesight wasn't all that good, he might reach for a glass of milk and, and he would bump it and spill it. And he made funny sounds while eating. And one night the, the, the son said, we got to do something about dad. I, I can't take this anymore. It's ruining our, our meal times." So they set up a little table in the corner, the corner of the dining area, and from then on, 
the old man ate by himself in the corner where they didn't have to see it. And because he had broken some plates, uh, they gave him his food in a, in a wooden bowl. Well, one afternoon before supper, the four-year-old was on the floor playing with some scraps of wood, and his father said uh, sweetly to him, what are you making? And just as sweetly, the boy looked up and said, I'm making a wooden bowl for you and Mama for when you get old. That night, they brought the old man back to the table. The golden rule stated negatively would be, don't say anything cruel. Don't say anything mean. Stated positively. Now, it takes wisdom to apply the golden rule. Because you don't, if you're going to obey this rule, not precisely do for the other person what you would want done for you because your tastes and desires are different, right? <laughs> um, for example, a birthday present that she might like is not necessarily the same as the present that you would like, which is why for years I took some ribbing for giving Jennifer a jigsaw one year for her, her birthday. <laughs> But uh, whether you laugh or not, what you might not know is that my wife is really into crafts. And so she actually used that jigsaw more than I did. But you do apply the golden rule with some wisdom and try to put yourself in the shoes of the other person. What would they want? What would I want if I was her? I think Gary Chapman is on to something with his books on the five love languages. The essence of it is that we don't all hear or receive love in exactly the same way. For some people, physical touch or words of affirmation are the way I hear, you love me. And for others, it's maybe quality time um, that we spend together that says, boy, he really loves me. So in applying the golden rule, we, we need wisdom. But we also need the rest of the Bible. When Jesus says, this sentence sums up the law and the prophets, he doesn't say, so we don't need the law and the prophets anymore. You can ignore them. Just scrap them. No. No, he endorsed the Old Testament. I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. This is a neat summary of the requirements of the law and the prophets, but... We still need the rest of the Bible to help us understand the truest, deepest needs of other people. And we need the rest of the Bible to show us what, in fact, love looks like. We don't get to define it for ourselves. We define it as God does. What's more, this doesn't really say anything about the first great commandment, loving God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. But... Matthew chapter 22 does. Jesus is in dialogue with a religious inquirer, and uh, our Lord gets the man to acknowledge that the greatest commandments are love God, love neighbor. And Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom. That's really good. That's a good summary. In fact, 
All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Matthew 22, 40. So this expression about a summary of the law and the prophets needs to include all of our obligations to God as well as our obligations to our fellow our fellow creatures. We need the rest of the Bible to flesh out this golden rule. I may have told the story before of two university professors walking across the campus. Uh, one was an astronomer and one was a theologian. And the astronomer, as is sometimes typical of people in the hard sciences, was uh, giving the theologian a hard time and even questioning whether theology belonged in the university as a department. And he said, can't you just summarize all of religion as the golden rule? And the theologian said, yeah, I suppose you can, just as you can summarize all of astronomy as twinkle, twinkle, little star. Um, it is a good summary, but it, there's more to it than that. Doug Nichols was a missionary in India. He hadn't been there very long when he contracted tuberculosis and had to spend several months in a sanatorium. He didn't know the language yet, but he wanted God to use him, so he tried to give gospel literature to the patients and staff, and although they were polite, um, they declined. Nobody took the Christian literature that he had to offer them. He suspected that some of them at least resented this rich American, because all Americans are rich, um, using a government-funded sanatorium. They didn't know he was as broke as they were. But he tried, without success, to give out gospel literature. Well, one night he woke up at 2 in the morning with a coughing fit, and while he was awake, he noticed another patient across the aisle trying to get out of bed. This old man was very frail, emaciated, his strength gone. He would put his feet on the floor and attempt to get out of bed, but he couldn't, and after a few attempts, just kind of fell back in the bed and whimpered. And Nichols wasn't sure what the old man was trying to do, but the next morning it was clear what he had been trying to do because there was a stench in the ward. Um, the old man had been trying to go to the bathroom, but he couldn't get there. Other patients yelled insults at the poor man. The nurses handled him roughly as they moved him back and forth, cleaning up the mess. One nurse even slapped him, and he just curled up in a ball and, and wept. Well, the next night, Nichols again woke up in the middle of the night with a coughing fit and again saw the other patient trying to get out of bed. And Nichols, in telling this story, says, now I'm not really a hero and I would have just as soon not gotten involved, but I don't like bad smells. So he went over to the old man, tapped him on the shoulder, and the man just looked in wide put his hands under him and, and lifted him. He was so emaciated that he was not even any trouble for Nichols to lift, weakened though he was by his TB. He took him to the bathroom, which was just a dirty little 
closet, basically, with a hole in the floor. And Nichols held the man up under his armpits while he took care of himself. And when they were done, Nichols carried him back to bed, laid him on the bed. And the old man kissed his cheek and said something that Nichols didn't understand. The next morning, when Nichols woke up, another patient brought him a cup of steaming tea and signaled that he wanted some gospel literature. And other patients, as the sun rose, came to Nichols' bed and asked for the tracts that they had formerly turned down. And staff, doctors, and nurses also asked for Christian literature. A few weeks later, an evangelist who did speak the language came and had some ministry among them and came to Nichols and told him that there were a few people in that ward who had trusted Christ as Savior as a result of the literature that he had finally been able to give them. And in summarizing his story, Nichols says, and what did I do? I couldn't speak the language. I could hardly move myself. I couldn't hold evangelistic meetings. All I did was take an old man to the bathroom. Anybody could do that. So, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. Let's pray about that. Father, often when I preach, I pray that you would help us understand what you're saying to us through your word, but I really don't think there's a whole lot of difficulty understanding what Jesus says to us in Matthew 7:12. Maybe what we need instead is for you to awaken in our hearts by grace the kind of love that this golden rule commends to us. I'm sure I'm not the only person here who, in honesty, could confess to being basically selfish. I'm willing to obey the negative version of the rule and not mess up anybody's life if I can help it. And I might even like it if other people practiced the golden rule and gave me what I want. But it does not come naturally to me, and really it doesn't come naturally to any of us, to live by this ethic of love. So we need your help. But I believe that when people pray for help doing what you want them to do, that's a prayer you're always happy to honor. So in confidence that you can and will use this text, this truth, this rule to make us more like Jesus, I pray that you'll apply it to our hearts and that it'll make a difference to a watching world. And who knows but what our experience might be like that of Doug Nichols that there will be some attracted to the Savior simply because we do to others as we would have them do for us. 
So we pray for help in doing it, for our own sake, for the sake of the people around us, and for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray, and let all his people say, Amen.